Thanks for listening to Planet Money. NPR has a lot of podcasts, including the live debate show Intelligence Squared U.S. You can, of course, find it on iTunes under podcasts. An amazing amount of stuff on the Internet is free. Facebook, Twitter, Gmail. Of course, it's not exactly free. We pay for it, just not with cash. We pay another way. We pay with our data. To most of us, this seems invisible. Little innocuous bits of information about us floating out from our keyboards or our smartphones, drifting up into the ether. We get that Google and Facebook use this to sell ads, but it seems ephemeral. But this is all stored somewhere. Okay, do I need to scan my card first? Please step into the door. Okay. This is a data storage center near San Jose. And this guy, Paul Hopkins, is showing me around. This building is larger than an aircraft carrier. One hallway here is a quarter of a mile long. It's a heck of a long walk, you know, if if you're walking back and forth all day. So it's pretty funny. You'll see guys zipping around on their scooters uh, around here. Razor scooters. They use razor scooters to get around. The computers in here suck down as much electricity as a small city. And there are thousands of buildings just like this all over the world. This industry, storing data, is doubling in size every two years. All our stuff is here. Our emails, our photos, our financial information, our naked selfies. And despite that locked door, it's not always safe. You could look at a data center, any data center, as a big honeypot. Honeypots attract bears. And some people in the industry actually use this term. Data attracts all sorts of people you may not like. Hackers, identity thieves, cops, stalkers, the Chinese military, Russian mobsters, analysts from the NSA. They all want this stuff. They want data. Maybe you're okay with this bargain we've struck. Our data for free software, cool services. Maybe you're not. But right now, however you feel about it, we're all kind of stuck in this world. We are all inside these computers, right here. Hello and welcome to Planet Money. I'm Steve Henn. Today on the show, two people who want to give you other options. These two people are trying to create services online that collect next to nothing. Virtually no information, no data about us at all. A couple of years ago, these people might have been dismissed as kooks. But one of them just raised $30 million. There are a few kinds of people when it comes to privacy. There are people who don't care at all. And there are people who kind of care a little bit. And then there are people who really care. These two people, they are in that last category. The first guy's name, Moxie Marlinspike. Is that your real name? It is. It Was it on your birth certificate? No, uh, it was not on my birth certificate, but it's what uh, almost everyone I've known has called me my entire life. It, what, what's on your credit cards? Uh, <laughs> which credit card? <laughs> uh, Do you have a credit card that says Moxie Marlinspike? Well, okay. I, I'm curious why you want to know. Moxie? I guess we'll just call him that. It's how everyone in Silicon Valley knows him. You could call him a hacker or a security expert. He's famous for pointing out major security flaws in systems used by PayPal and lots of other enormous websites. And he says if your information ends up in one of these data centers, in one of these honeypots, it's just not going to be safe. 
if you go into business and that business is collecting a lot of data and hoping to store it safely... You lose every time. Uh, that's the problem, right? Like, if you have the data, someone is going to get it. Target, Home Depot, you've heard these stories. No place is immune. He says everyone's been compromised at some point. Apple, Google, Facebook, even the NSA. You know, the one thing that we've learned, at least over the past 15 years, is that, like, the attackers always win. You know, that uh, if what you do is have a lot of really valuable information in one place and you try to, you know, secure that, um, you're going to lose. So that's our first person. The second person hoping to change things? Unlike Moxie, I do know her real name. It's Nico Sell. She has an actual company. The office, though, was a little hard to find. All right, I promised to... Uh keep the location secret. So I'm in this neighborhood in San Francisco called the Dog Patch. It's full of warehouses. And I'm wandering around lost. Nico gave me the address, but there is no sign. And it turns out that is intentional. Eventually, I spot some guys on laptops in a warehouse, and I poke my head in. Hi, my name's Steve Hannes. Nico here? Uh, hey. Hi. Good. It's nice Hello. to see you. Good yeah. to see you again, man. Yeah. Um, I'm actually uh, recording. I just wanted to get the moment when I found your office. I like your hammocks. Nico Sell is not a hacker like Moxie. She's a business person. But she's worked with hackers and security geeks for years, and it's made her kind of paranoid. When she pulls out her phone, it's swaddled in this weird, shiny, metallic-looking scarf. Uh, This is some silver fabric. And I wrap it around my phone, and it works really well for GPS. For blocking GPS, killing the signal so no one can track her location. Nico views her phone as a potential bug. She sees it as a little computer that anyone with some time and effort could hack into and take control of. She just doesn't trust the thing. She's got a sticker covering the camera on her phone, so no one could ever see what she's doing. And even with all these precautions, she knows eventually she's bound to fail. Eventually, information about her is going to leak out. For example, she's got kids, daughters, and she doesn't want her home address online. But one day, her oldest daughter posted a picture of their dog at their house on Instagram. The picture had location information attached to it. And all of a sudden, anyone could figure out where she lived, where her daughter lived. She understands security and privacy, and she still made a really simple mistake. People shouldn't have to know People are leaving digital footprints all over the place and not understanding the consequences of it. So what are you going to do if no data center is safe and if users are always going to make stupid mistakes, even smart users? How could anyone maintain their privacy or even control the data about them that's already out there? Nico and Moxie are trying to create alternatives. One alternative, you could cut the honeypot out of this equation. You could encrypt everything. So even if your stuff is sitting there in this data center and someone breaks into it and looks at it, all they're going to see is gibberish. And that's sort of what Moxie's technology does. It looks like... Um, could, could, could I see it? Could I hold it? So, so what's it called? This is called Text Secure. Text Secure. It's an app Moxie built. And really, it looks just like any other texting thing you've used on your phone. Except for one thing. When the messages are sent, they're encrypted, encoded. There's actually a little lock that you'll see next to them on the phone. And other places do this too. Other places encrypt messages. If you send a normal text from your iPhone to a friend's iPhone, that's encrypted. But there's a difference. In Apple's case, Apple holds the key. On text secure, 
Moxie says, no one keeps a key. The only key is on your phone. And that key changes with every new text. If the NSA went to Apple and said, we want your texts, Apple would have to do that or fight it out in court or pay enormous fines. But if the NSA came to Moxie, all he could show them would be gibberish. He couldn't turn over the key. He doesn't have it. You know, the, sort of the point of cryptography is, is to trust algorithms and not people. I don't think we can expect, um, you know, an individual organization to go to jail for us. Um, but, you know, math doesn't have that problem. You can't put math in jail. No, you can't. <laughs> Moxie made the code for all of this public. So anyone can look at how this app works and judge it for themselves. Security types, experts, have looked carefully. And a couple of the things Moxie did were a really big deal in the cryptography world. His app is really hard to break. It could be really useful. The code is simple and elegant and fast. And the system Moxie created could be used on more than text messages. It could work on group messages. It could work on pictures. It could work on video. Actually, it could work on Facebook. When you boil it down, Facebook is really a group messaging service. But Moxie isn't trying to start a business. He decided to give his code away, make it available for any company that wants to use it. The very least that we can do is, you know, get to the point where it's, it's possible to say, oh, you just plug this into your app. It's two extra lines of code um, that you call, you know, you know, when you send a message and you receive a message and everything is encrypted. Right? And by the way, it's free. Yeah, right. And it's free. Right. You know, there's no excuse not to do this. Right. So Moxie's working on the encryption side of this. But there's another way to protect your data. Destroy it. Your pictures, your texts. Once someone reads your message or looks at that photo you sent, blow it up. Destroy it in a way no one could ever get it back. To show me what this would look like, Nico Cell unwraps that silver foil from her phone and shows me her app, Wicker. You'll see a camera. You'll also see a way to send voice messages. And then there's a little attachment, a paperclip. Look, a message from you. Oh, yeah, I'm saying I'm late. The photos, the pictures, they delete themselves. They explode. And the sender can decide how long a message lasts, any kind of message, from a couple of seconds to days. And this may sound familiar. Snapchat launched around the same time with more or less the same idea. Now, Wicker claimed it had better encryption. But Snapchat was easier to use. Wicker had a password. Snapchat had users. It became enormously popular. It exploded. In the end, Snapchat won. People didn't seem to care that Wicker was safer. If their friends were sending snaps, that's the only thing that mattered. And that really is the problem Moxie and Nico faced. The world doesn't seem to care, or didn't seem to care, as much about privacy as they do. We have this economy built around data, and for the most part, people seem fine with it. Companies get our personal information, we get free stuff. Lots of free stuff. And really, everyone knows the deal. What Moxie and Nico are talking about, what they're trying to do, that would totally upend this system. I mean, think about it. If Facebook can't gather information about you, if it can't read your posts, if it can't tell who your friends are, if your pictures keep blowing up, if they can't get your data, they can't sell targeted ads. And if Facebook can't sell those ads, it can't be free anymore. Just a few years ago, taking on the data economy, Moxie and Nico's dream of safe private alternatives, it seemed hopeless. I mean, Moxie had trouble giving his technology away. Nico's business was being run out of a shed 
She was funding Wicker out of her own pocket. No one seemed interested in privacy. Until, until Edward Snowden, the NSA contractor who leaked thousands of pages of documents about the inner workings of the NSA. Snowden revealed the NSA was hacking into internet companies around the world, collecting all kinds of data. It was storing information about every phone call made in the United States. And suddenly, things changed. New people, potential investors, unexpected investors were suddenly interested in Nico's business. People who didn't wrap their phones in silver fabric. People with real money. People like this guy, Jim Breyer. Well, I had been uh, an investor in Facebook starting in April 2005. Jim Breyer is a famous venture capitalist out here. He was one of the first investors in Facebook. I met Mark Zuckerberg when he was 20. Uh, He had moved recently from Cambridge uh, to the Bay Area. We shook hands a week later uh, on a deal. That deal made Jim Breyer a billionaire. This summer, Jim told Nico he wanted in. He wanted to invest in Wicker. And... He had this crazy idea about how this whole thing could work, how Wicker could actually take off and make money. This idea? They'd charge for it. That's right, software you have to pay for. Or at least some people would have to pay. So who would be willing to pay for exploding messages? Terrorists? Cheating spouses? People having affairs? Jim had another idea. Bankers. Executives. So I asked him if he had ever had a moment in his own business life where he'd sent a message and then he wanted it to explode. (laughs) Every day, for sure. (laughs) It's something that uh, occurs frequently, whether it's a board setting, whether it's interaction uh, with, with friends and everything in between. The folks at Wicker had thought about charging before, but they were focused on teens, not Wall Street. Jim says the idea isn't to help executives break the law. Often places are required to hang on to email and text for a certain number of years. The idea is that Wicker would hold on to all of that data safely. And then when it was time to delete it, you wouldn't even need to think about it. It would wipe it all out automatically. This summer, Breyer helped Wicker raise $30 million dollars. The investors included CME, the giant financial company that owns some of the biggest commodity exchanges in the world, and a former executive at Goldman Sachs. And now, Wicker's moving into a real office. The hope is, Wicker can sell to Wall Street, and if it does, that this technology will eventually become standard all over the place. If it works, this may be the way privacy comes to the rest of us. An unlikely alliance between people with fake names, people with silver fabric wrapped around their phones, a billionaire investor, and the bankers. That's our show for today. If you're looking for more podcasts to listen to, check out NPR's live debate show, Intelligence Squared US. You can find it on iTunes under podcasts. If you want to send us a message at Planet Money, we're on Twitter at Planet Money. Our email is planetmoney at npr.org. Or you can send me a tweet at hens eggs. That's H-E-N-N-S-E-G-G-S. Thanks to Fia Benin, who produced today's show, and David Kestenbaum and Jacob Goldstein for all of their help. I'm Steve Henn. Thanks for listening.